0: Hello, everyone, again. Thanks for joining us one more time. This is the CPR Health Podcast. I'm Sagar Doshi, boarded and practicing emergency medicine physician, as well as lifestyle medicine physician.
1: And I'm Zachar Moses, boarded emergency medicine physician, and practicing lifestyle medicine physician. So, last time, we
0: ended with a question, which is simply we have these health problems, why not just take? The medicine. Why don't we just take some pills? That's what they're for. It's so easy, isn't it?
1: I'll tell you why. It doesn't fix the problem. And? And. I mean, that's the that's, that's a, that's a basic answer. Uh, there's about a bunch of reasons why. Though. I mean, we know the people who take meds. First of all, I mean, you're basically taking things that have side effects. Where You know, food, whole food, plant-based things have, you know, plant based products have no side effects. But if medicine worked we wouldn't have the complications that we have among people who still take their medicines. You talked about the guy that you saw in the ER who had his, what was his 13th 13th. heart attack? 13th. Yeah. And was he taking his meds? Oh, yeah. Diligently. Yeah. Yeah. And he still had a heart attack Uh, or 12 other heart attacks after his first heart attack. So if meds worked, 70% of Americans wouldn't be obese. 48% of people wouldn't have heart disease, which is the leading cause of death in America. We wouldn't have 735,000 Americans die every year. From a heart attack. That's a lot. Almost a million people. And that's getting worse every year. Every year that gets worse.
0: It's like a city every year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And one in four of our deaths wouldn't be from cancer if the medicines worked. If we would just say, hey, no matter what problem you get, no matter what ailment you get, we have a pill for that. Or chemotherapy for that. Or a surgery for that. People wouldn't be continuously getting sicker. And living shorter lives or more disease riddled lives.
0: Yeah, just living longer isn't necessarily a good thing
1: if you were feeling
0: crappy throughout it.
1: Yeah. And how many times have you heard the advertisement for the medication that some auctioneer at the end of the advertisement rattles off a bunch of side effects? Yeah. Talks as fast as I do or faster. So, why why would we do whole food plant-based diet? What what's the what's the benefit? So interestingly,
0: if you look at all the preventable causes of disease, And count them up, about of those 2 million deaths caused by those top 10 causes that we covered ways back, about 89% of them could be prevented or even reversed with this kind of nutrition plan. 89%. That is most. And it's just like you said, everybody, almost everybody can access it if you have access to a grocery store, which is a whole separate problem if you don't has its own side effects there. Mm-hmm. It's affordable. People think for some reason that whole food plant-based must be expensive. But really, you're just dealing with stuff like rice, beans, and produce. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be organic.
1: Yeah, I think people are thinking of the specialty stores Yeah, when they think of that. When you can go to your standard grocery store and buy all this stuff. It's not yeah. it's not a specialty store.
0: Whatever you have in your town, be it Myers Kroger's, Food Lion, Bilo,
1: Bigly Wiggly. Aldi, Giant Eagle, whatever.
0: Yeah. And like Zach said, as long as what you're eating is food and not a strange unmarked plant that you found in the woods, then there's not going to be any adverse side effects here.
1: Okay? <laughs> Don't go eating mushrooms <laughs> off the ground in the forest, please. You better know what you are doing if you're going to do that. Yeah.
0: I saw it in a book. It's fine. <laughs> no. And let's go back a little bit. Just one by one, let's cover some of the big causes of death, and how food, and the right food, can make an impact. So, for example, let's just talk about coronary artery disease. Now, that has to do with, uh, let's simplify it, that has to do with plaques building up along the walls of the vessels that feed the heart and give the heart its blood, right? The blood goes around to the body, to all the vital organs from the heart, heart squeezes, It pushes out. Everything needs blood. That includes the heart. So the heart needs to feed itself blood through its coronary arteries or its heart arteries or the vessels to give the heart its own blood. And plaque stuff starts building up there. And if it builds up too much, then this tube, this artery, which is essentially a tube, gets more narrow. And as it gets more narrow, there's a lot less flow. There's this thing called, how do we say it? Possois? Possois? I don't know how to say it. (laughs) So according to this law, if you take the radius of something, and let's say we double the radius, we make it twice as big, right? Then you're not just increasing flow by twice, you're increasing it by- (laughs) By twice?
1: What? I don't think that's grammatically correct. No? I think when you just increase it by something, you just increase it by- Two or a factor of two, not by twice.
0: Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, it's more, but it's not just two times more. It's two to the fourth times. It's taken to the fourth power. So two times two times two times two. I believe that's 16, which is just a crazy amount to have increased by. And so if there's plaque building up and it's decreasing the size of that tube, you are massively decreasing how much stuff flows in.
1: Yeah, and that doesn't even really talk about plaque ruptures.
0: Yeah, and this is that's what a heart attack is. So, go through that for us.
1: Yeah, so when you get those plaques that start forming like that, that's bad enough that you get decreased flow and you can start having decreased contractility. Basically, you're starving your your heart muscles of nutrients. But then if one of those plaques decide to rupture, you have all of these thrombogenic particles inside and what that basically means is these particles that come inside or from inside the plaque come out and they start telling the blood to clot. So instead of having half of that radius left or half of the diameter left of your of your blood vessel, now all of a sudden it's entirely occluded and it happens in an instant. And the body hates nothing more than when things happen rapidly. We Whether it's electrolyte or blood getting clotted off, I mean, if you have this happening over a long time, your heart can develop what's called collateral flow. If you slowly cut off an oxygen, supply your body's smart enough to develop blood vessels that go around it. It's not ideal, uh, but it will give it a kind of an alternative pathway. But in this case, there's nothing left. The roads in the side haven't been built, the highways cut off, and now your your heart muscle is starving and it dies from lack of oxygen. This is the massive heart attack that we see in people that they come in looking pretty sick uh, and and die quickly. That's a nightmare. And a whole food plant-based diet helps prevent that. Yeah, we're not saying it's going to help in that very critical time. No. Now, that's the time
0: that you go to the hospital, and this is the time when people are talking to you about stents and maybe even bypass surgery, but rather the other times when it's building into that direction. Or as Zach said, if there's simply just steady plaque buildup, then yeah, you're going to get chest pain, but you you may not have a heart attack. You're just going to have chest pain every time you try to go up half a flight of stairs. That's called angina, by the way. There are people that have studied this with great intensity in a variety of ways, but I think the most, or at least one of the most famous trials, studies looking at this was from a gentleman named Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn out of Cleveland, and it was published in the American Journal of Cardiology back in 1999 with nearly 200 patients that have all failed treatment with the modern modalities at that time, and it's a severe heart disease. And thought to himself, all right, what can we do? And he took a dietary approach, really just a dietary approach, no exercise, no anything else. And for a giant chunk of them, about 177 people were able to adhere to this diet, which was a low-fat, whole food, plant-based diet. Of 198. 177 yeah. of 198. Mm-hmm. And so the 21 people, there were 21 people that could not stick to it because it's not the easiest thing in the world. And so it set up a unintended, but almost a good control group. And so of those 177 people, 94% of them had their symptoms improve. 22% of them had reversal of their disease that you could
1: see on imaging. Which is the first thing that's ever shown that. We've never had a non-invasive approach show that. No medications do that. And not even surgery does that.
0: right? Surgery bypasses the problem. right? And if you keep on the current trajectory that created that problem, you're going to have the same thing happen. It's just going to happen later. I mean, what is it? Something like half of all these things fail because people end up having
1: cardiac complications? I mean, yeah. We, we, you and I see that all the time. The no. I mean, yeah, People come in with chest pain and have to have stents and they, or they find out that their bypass graft has gone down, but they've developed collateral flow. So they're quote unquote, okay. But they still have plaque buildup to the stuff that you know was supposed to fix the problem.
0: Yeah. When we hear somebody's had uh, heart surgery before, or bypass surgery before, we don't think, oh, good. You must be <laughs> fine now.
1: Yeah, that's that's We very... have the
0: very opposite reaction. <laughs> yes. Anyway, of the 21 people that were not able to adhere to this diet, you might guess 0% of them had their symptoms improve. 0% of them had
1: reversal. But they were
0: still continuing on with all their medications and everything that their cardiologists were
1: recommending. And if I remember correctly from that study, one of the people who ended up having, who adhered to the diet, but then had complications was somebody who actually had a post-operative complication. It was somebody who was pretty quick after getting bypass surgery, then ended up having a, I think their graft went down that had nothing to do with the diet. It just happened. And that sometimes happens post-operatively where the graft just closes off. So I guess one of my points is we're not even talking about the complications of these interventions. These are, we're not even tossing that into the, the equation yet. And there are complications that happen that are, that's outside the control of the surgeon or the cardiologist. Sometimes bad things just happen.
0: No matter how well done it's been, and no matter how even necessary those procedures and surgeries are, stuff happens. There's another really cool um, study that was done that was published in JAMA back in 1998 by Dean Ornish. You want to talk about that? You do this one. All right, so back in 1998, there was a physician named Dean Ornish who published in JAMA, and not a lot of patients here, but 35 randomized adults with coronary artery disease were monitored over a longer term, over five years, and 20 of them had the usual optimal care for coronary artery disease, and then 15 of them had an intervention with diet and lifestyle. So what are we talking about there? We're talking about dealing with both your nutrition and how you deal with stress and other ways about living your life that can be changed uh, outside of medicines and procedures and what they find. So at five years, the intervention group, meaning the lifestyle change group, was able to increase the size of their arteries by about eight percent. That's a lot more flow if you remember Poiseuille's law. And then 91% of these people at one year had less angina or less chest pain. By five years, 72% had less angina. Now the control group on living medicines, and these are things like statins, narrowed their arteries by about 28%. So remember that, right? In the intervention group, using lifestyle changes, we have opened their coronary arteries. But in the control group, the people taking all the medicine, their vessels continued to constrict, dropping flow significantly there. And in that group, the control group, their rate of chest pain went up 186% at one year. And then if you look at five years, it was actually down by 37%, but that includes all the people that needed stents. Now if you really want to do a cool comparison, you can control- They're a
1: bunch of cheaters, by the way. (laughs) You do what you got to (laughs) do.
0: But if you want to do a really interesting comparison, compare the people in the control group that had to be off of their lipid medicines for things like allergies or bad side effects and take that group and look at them and their arteries narrowed by more, uh, by about 47%.
1: Yeah, which is huge because remember that's not just 47% less flow. That's half flow times half flow times half flow times half flow. So they're looking at Significantly less flow. A 16th. Yeah. Which is big. That's going to be painful. So
0: yeah. Narrowed by 47% versus opened up by 8%. It's amazing. And then I'll also put this in there. Uh, So that doesn't mean stop taking your statins if you're on a whole food plant-based diet. If you need this medicine, it really depends on your disease state, your condition, variety of factors. But there are people out there that need to be on that medicine. And this shows that it was making a big impact actually. However, if you don't need to be on medicine, then you shouldn't be on it. That goes for all medicines. Yeah, you don't need to be
1: on. And if you can prevent needing the medicine in the first place, that's the way to ideal in your ideal situation is you prevent ever getting the disease at all.
0: All right, let's look one more example just for looking at cardiovascular stuff, since we we're just talking about medicines, statin stuff like that. There's a guy named Jenkins back in JAMA published 2003, took nearly 50 people. Split them up in three groups, all right? One group is going to be on the American Heart Association diet and is going to get their statin. Group number two is going to be on a special regiment of soy, almonds, and plants with lots of fiber in them. And then group three is going to have plenty of whole wheat and little itty-bitty less fat than the other two groups. And what did we find? Found that the people making the big dietary change and getting more plants and almonds and soy in their diet did about the same as the people on statins. So that's pretty amazing that this portfolio of things you can put into your diet, making these changes for a whole food plant-based diet that includes soy, almonds, and plants with lots of fiber can be as effective in dropping your cholesterol as a statin.
1: So we've talked, you know, there's three pretty solid studies. Granted, small ones. And the biggest criticism that you hear about these studies that from what I've heard from people who don't buy into the whole food plant-based diet is, well, it's hard to adhere to. It doesn't count, which is just ridiculous to me because it, it's somehow easier to get your vein harvested from your leg and implanted in your heart than it is to eat a different diet. But that's the biggest criticism. Nobody's really going after the pathophysiology of this or the... Literature itself, they say, well, it doesn't count because that's a hard diet. Sorry, that's just not good enough for me. <laughs> not when lives are on the line. Beyond just cardiovascular disease, or specifically, I guess, in this case, coronary artery disease, there's some other benefits. Cancers, a lot of cancers can be prevented by a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, the most common ones that are studied, probably because they're the most common cancers that we see, are breast, colon, and prostate cancers. If you look at the data and the current recommendations, the World Health Organization uh, in most cancer societies, consider processed meats as the same uh, class as cigarette smoke for cancer-causing uh, material or cancer-causing uh, compounds. So, when you're smoking a cigarette, you're doing you're doing the same amount of proven harm to your body as eating processed meat. So, it'd be things like bacon, especially smoked meats, are a lot of the processed things. A lot of the, your deli meats, uh, we know they're terrible for you. We know they cause cancer. You don't hear about this much. I don't know why, uh, but we know that they cause cancer. So your natural killer cells are your cells in your body that recognize things that are wrong with the body, uh, cells that don't belong or some infections. um, And those are inhibited when you're eating processed meats. Uh, And they're stimulated by eating a whole food plant-based diet, among other things. Um, There's actually some good evidence that they're also improved by uh, stress relief and sleep, but we'll get into that another day. We also know that there are certain genes that are turned on and off by eating a whole food plant-based diet and a diet high in uh, processed meat that would be more, make you more prone to getting cancer. Um, so the ones that are turned on are ones that cause cancer by eating processed meats. Uh, your whole food plant-based diet will actually turn on your protective genes. Uh, this is called epigenetics, when the things that you eat or the things that you interact with affect your gene expression. So also, just going back into some of the other benefits with...
0: Uh, preventing and dealing with cancer, is that when we eat very processed foods, we end up with these things called advanced glycation end products, which are harmful. And when we eat whole food plant-based stuff, we end up getting lots of antioxidants and lots of fiber, which are very helpful. And if you really want to visualize these effects, that was done uh, really well by a study that came out in 2008, published um, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, it was also by Dr. Ornish. And there were 30 people with prostate cancer that served as their own controls. So they biopsied their prostates before they started doing these lifestyle interventions. And then they compared that to the same people with biopsies afterwards. And what's amazing is they started, uh, they took these biopsies and they looked at what are called heat maps, where they could graphically represent the activation of certain genes. And If you look at them side by side, go Google this if you can, because it's an impressive image, on the pre-intervention group, you can see that there are more harmful genes that have been turned on, or more pro-cancer genes, and less of the helpful genes have been turned on. But if you look post-intervention, it's the exact opposite. There are fewer harmful genes that have been activated, and more helpful genes are activated. It's really impressive. And this was just after three months.
1: And there are other cancers where we can do this and we know that this works and we can get into details about all this. But yeah, this is, it's not specific to prostate cancer.
0: Yeah. But I want to bring up just one case, one patient I worked with who was able to go, I mean, he was amazing. He was very adherent if we're using that word, but he was able to stick with all this and he was able to lower his PSA, his
1: prostate prostate specific antigen, which is typically unheard of doing. Yeah. And it's interesting for everybody thinks that chicken is healthy, for example, right? Like beef is, you know, the red meat, everybody knows red meat is bad for you. But in the setting of specifically prostate cancer, we know that it's more likely to metastasize among people who are eating poultry, whether it's eggs or chicken. So it's not just, you know, maybe we sound like we're being strict by saying, oh, you you can't even eat chicken, but this is why. And we know that it has detrimental effects. So people died of lung disease too, right? That's another one of our leading causes of death. How does a whole food plant based diet? Yeah, effect... it seems
0: really easy to think of our hearts being affected by food. Yeah. something seems different about the lungs, though.
1: I agree, because you just don't think that. I mean, it's still a very vascular organ. I don't know why we have that uh, that mentality. But um, so people eat cruciferous vegetables. Think broccoli or bok choy or Brussels sprouts or mustard, right? Is mustard a cruciferous vegetable? I think so. Sure, whatever. We'll go with it. Cauliflower, I know that's one. Yes, kale. That's popular. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So, people who consumed those types of foods, cruciferous vegetables, had 21% less incidence of lung cancer among people who smoked. So, it's kind of also a a cancer benefit. But if you smoke, you're 21% less likely to get cancer if you eat cruciferous vegetables. They actually, I think some of the cigarette companies and some of the tobacco companies, if I remember correctly, were trying to isolate these compounds and put them in tobacco products. So, that when you smoked them, you'd also, you know get cancer-fighting stuff and smoke. I'm sure that, that that didn't work.
0: This is like when – I want to say it was Budweiser, but when they put extra vitamins yeah. in their beer.
1: Do you remember that? I, I think I, – yeah. I, I
0: vaguely remember reading about that. Yeah. So, you know, they could really appeal to all their
1: high-frequency users. Yeah. It's it's now healthy to drink beer and smoke cigarettes.
0: It's not. It's
1: not. <laughs> it's not. Nobody clip that and take it out of context. <laughs> Uh, another one, diets high in red meat, increased cancer in the lung by 35%. Uh, that did appear to be dose dependent in that uh, in some of the studies where you eat more. The more you eat, the more likely you are to get cancer. And then another one that's not cancer dependent or, or cancer specific that involves lung disease is smokers who have known COPD, who eat more fruits and vegetables, have better lung function. So they have this FEV1, which is one of the studies that we use, one of the dynamic tests of the lung to see how well you're moving in and out air. Was actually improved with people who ate fruits and vegetables. If you had COPD,
0: what is COPD? Ah,
1: oh well, yeah, that's right. I, sh- I guess I should throw these things out there, huh? Uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Think um, emphysema. People who have long-standing uh, or long-standing smokers who develop lung disease um, with the shortness of breath, with yeah, the wheezing, with the phlegm. Who are usually they're hospitalized very frequently, often end up on oxygen. Um, it's not a it's and not a fun steroids, disease. Steroids, antibiotics. Yeah, it's not fun. And then. Also, benefits to your metabolic issues, which is not surprising. So, diabetes. Sagar, you want to walk us through that? So, lots of information here.
0: And maybe we should just do a whole different podcast on diabetes in general. But just to touch on some things here, let's look at a study by a physician named Barnard who published this in Diabetes Care back in 2006. Although there have been other publications since then that show the same thing uh, from various years. But anyway… So if you look and you compare the two groups of people, one group was on a low-fat, whole food, plant-based diet, and the other group was on the diet recommended by the American Diabetes Association, which one would expect would be the optimal diet. If you take a look at those groups, the ADA diet was able to drop an A1C, or that rolling average of sugar affecting a red blood cell. It was able to drop it by almost half a percent. But if you look at the whole food plant-based diet, it was able to drop it by 1%. If you want to look at people losing weight, under the ADA diet, people were about to, uh, could lose about one pound. But in the other group, the whole food plant-based diet, people dropped about 14 pounds, a little more than that actually. And that's on the people that were staying on the same doses of their medicine. If you excluded the people that were able to lower and got off their medicine. If you excluded them, that's what happened. Now, if you look at overall weights, people that were changing medicines and whatnot included, then the people on the ADA-recommended diet were able to lose 7.5 pounds. And the people uh, overall in the plant-based diet were able to lose nearly 13 pounds. And here's where it gets even more interesting for me. The people on the ADA diet were able to reduce their medications by 26%, but the people in the plant-based group were able to reduce their medicines by 43%. So what does this mean? Essentially, a plant-based diet is better than even the ADA recommends, but changing your diet is vital no matter what the heck you're doing. Any step you take towards a better health plan for yourself, better nutrition for yourself, is going to have a meaningful impact for you.
1: Yeah, maybe it's because the ADA diet doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Go on. I, I'm just looking through their website right now and it's just a little bit comical uh there's a recipe here for a low carb lunchbox uh colby jack cheese which i don't know why you want to add saturated fat and add in insulin resistance to somebody who's already got insulin resistance um then they have uh, let's see it deli ham reduced sodium deli ham so that's good i guess they don't want you to have too much salt in your diet when they're increasing your cancer risk and my favorite part about it is, so they put all these foods in there and they say, okay, here's 18 grams of fat, three and a half saturated grams, or grams of saturated fat, uh, 35 grams of carbohydrate, 10 grams of fiber. I'll give them a little bit of credit there. That's not bad because uh, they had some apples and you know carrots and nuts. Of course, they have egg whites, but it's a 375 calorie lunch. So, yeah, of course, you're, you're going to lose weight if you're eating 375 calories. It's a severe calorie restriction diet. Yeah. So,
0: which is another benefit. We didn't even talk about this. Yeah. Well, the wonderful thing, at least for me, is when you're eating the right foods, you can eat a lot of them. In fact, when you're eating a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet, you actually end up needing to eat more. Mm-hmm. And that's just delicious.
1: Yeah. Not having to count calories is really helpful. And I always tell people this, like, good luck eating you know, 500 calories of broccoli. It's not gonna, You're not going to be able to. It's, it's too filling, which is good. And that's not the thing about this. You eat and you're full. You're not eating 375 calories of garbage and then being like oh well I'm done eating I'm still really hungry it's really hard for me to resist that ice cream because of course it is because now you want something that's calorie dense because you haven't eaten any calories or foods that fill you up and maintain some sense of satiety
0: yeah and we I mean we can branch out into just the various ways of feeling good on this feeling full it ends up being that if you eat the right foods if you eat a whole food plant based diet you vastly increase how much nutrition you get, while simultaneously decreasing all the junk, harmful stuff you're getting, and you end up losing weight that way. Increase nutrients, decrease pounds. Did you talk about insulin resistance yet? No, I didn't. I didn't know if it was going to be too complicated if we want to do it later, or you want
1: to do it now? I think we'll just sum it up real quick. I think it's important to mention that So you can have type 1 diabetics who eat 700 grams of carbs a day who aren't having their sugar spike. And people are like, how is that possible? I'm told low-carb diet is the most important thing in the world with diabetes. And the reason why is because we ignore insulin resistance as a mechanism for developing diabetes. So when you eat fatty products, particularly things with saturated fat, uh, which is a lot of animal fat, actually it's mostly animal fat. And coconuts. And coconuts, it's true. That's about it.
0: That's all I can think of right now
1: (laughs) from the plant world. Yeah, don't drink coconut milk, please.
0: (laughs) Especially not the kind that comes with in the cans that say Thai food on it.
1: Yeah, don't do that. Still not good for you. Anyway, so these fats actually bind to your insulin receptors and they cause insulin resistance. So the problem with type 2 diabetes specifically in this case is not so much a problem with lack of insulin. It's you don't have resistance. You have insulin resistance, so you don't have sensitivity to insulin. So you pump insulin into somebody And your body doesn't really recognize it because it's not hitting its receptors so you're not taking the sugar out of the cells which is what insulin is or out of the bloodstream and into the cells which is what insulin is supposed to make you do the insulin just sits in your blood or the i'm sorry the sugar just sits in your blood so if you continue to eat this high fat low carb diet you're not you're not treating the problem you are depriving yourself of sugar but you're increasing your insulin resistance So now you're increasing your requirement for insulin. So when I type 2 diabetics are on these medicines and increasing, you know, rising need of of insulin more as time goes on, they're just not overcoming their insulin resistance. Where if you take away that blocking receptor over that insulin receptor, all of a sudden the insulin works and their sugars start going down.
0: Yeah, it's attacking the root cause of the problem. Or put it another way, let's just look at what's supposed to happen to a regular person that takes in food or even not food. Let's call it a Coca-Cola. All right, Pepsi, I don't know, whoever, Royal Cola, that's what I used to drink. Anyway, you have an RC, you chug it down. What is supposed to happen? Now, glucose starts flooding into your blood vessels. It starts approaching these cells. These cells recognize that there's glucose out there. And then insulin is also recognizing that it needed to be released by the pancreas because food has to drift by the pancreas before it gets into the body. And so insulin is out there and glucose is out there. Now, insulin is supposed to go up to these cells and say, hey, there's a lot of glucose out here. You need fuel. How about I let them in? And these cells are supposed to say, yeah, that sounds great. I was feeling hungry. Come on in. And it sticks out its glucose receptors and the glucose goes into the cell and out of the bloodstream. So what happens if that doesn't happen, right? If the cell is full, Already. And how could it get full? Why wouldn't it be hungry for glucose? If, for one example, it is full of fat that should not be in it, some cells, like fat cells, need fat inside. Other cells don't want fat inside, at least not in any significant way. So if it has fat inside, it can run off that. And it doesn't really need glucose. So insulin shows up and it says, you know, we're good here. We're all stocked up. Uh, I'm not going to take any glucose today. So the glucose stays in the bloodstream. And so if you take your glucometer, you prick your finger, you put it in the machine, it's going to be a big number because the sugar's still in the bloodstream and you're measuring the sugar in the blood. Whereas if insulin had allowed, been allowed by the cell to take the glucose into the cell, the glucose will be out of the bloodstream. And if you prick your finger, check your blood, put it in the machine, the number is going to be lower. And so this process of insulin not being able to do its job effectively. is called insulin resistance. And while fat being in the wrong places is a big reason for that, it also has to do with other things, um, one of them being sleep, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But this is a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be dealing and managing diabetes versus dealing with the root cause of it.
1: Yeah, it's why low-carb diets don't work.
0: Not significantly. They'll make the number look better, right? In the short term, while making right. the underlying problem
1: potentially worse, right? But the number looks better. Yeah, and that's and that's why people. will get into this. Trust me, the keto diet. I'll I'll take care of that later. <laughs> anyway, so those are the, kind of the most common things that the diet that we're recommending is going to go after. Now that we've kind of got your attention to say, hey, this stuff works. Uh, in the next podcast that we do here we'll talk about what exactly is a whole food plant-based diet we haven't talked about that yet and obviously we've mentioned it a lot so it's kind of important so we're going to dig into some of those details and some other things on the next podcast you don't want to miss that so we'll see you next time